Welcome to this presentation of First Baptist Church Loeb. We're glad to have you joining us today. Our mission at FBC Loeb is to bring glory to God by being disciple makers. For that purpose, we present the following resource that it may be a blessing. All right, we'll grab a Bible and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3, and in case you use one of our pew Bibles, uh, you can find that on page 1015. As we continue making our way through Peter's first letter, we are uh, in a section where Peter is explaining what it looks like for Christians to live their lives as God's new covenant people. Uh, and part of that, you could argue, is, is him just trying to help these believers survive uh, as, as they live in a world that is hostile towards Christianity. And he's basically saying, look, life is going to be difficult enough just trying to be faithful in the midst of persecution. Don't make it even harder by drawing negative attention to yourselves. But, but even more to the point, Peter wants these churches to, to give a compelling witness to the gospel in their lifestyles. As, as the watching world looks at the church, they should be drawn to believe in Jesus for themselves. And so Peter has been discussing how to live honorably in the sight of the world. And now this morning, he's going to turn his attention and give instructions for uh, in the relationship between husbands and wives. And so we're in 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to begin reading verses 1 and 2. He writes, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. And so over the last two weeks, Peter has explained how Christians should relate to the government and to their employers. And now as we pick up here in chapter 3, he moves on to discuss the way that Christians should relate to one another in the context of marriage. And he begins by addressing wives. He says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. And again, as we have been seeing, the idea of, of being subject or submissive, it, it, it means uh, it involves yielding to someone else despite disagreement. Right? We, we've been saying it's not submission if you agree, that's agreement. Right? The, the very concept of submission uh, implies that we disagree about something, but I'm going to follow you instead of insisting on my own way. It's, it's the same verb that Peter has used to describe our relationship to governing authorities and to our employers, and now he uses it in the context of marriage as wives are called to submit to their husbands. Now, before we go any further, it probably goes without saying that out of all of the, the teachings of Christianity that the world finds objectionable, this has to be very near the top of the list, right? The, uh, this, this is outdated, it's offensive, maybe even dangerous, right? And I think there, there may be different reasons for why that is. I think most of the time, at least to some degree, it, it has to do with our natural rebellion against God and, and His design in the world. Uh, in some cases, it comes down to a, a lack of reading comprehension, that, that what we're seeing is not actually what Peter is trying to communicate in this passage. And then in some cases, if we're honest, uh, I think we'd have to admit that far too often the church has modeled this 
poorly. Right? So as someone hears this, they think to themselves, well, if what Peter is saying here is what I'm seeing in this or that particular marriage, then I don't want anything to do with that. And so we have to take a certain amount of responsibility ourselves. But for any number of reasons, our culture strongly objects to the Scripture's teaching about marriage, although I would argue that their plan doesn't work at all. Right? They, they insist that if, if we could just liberate ourselves from the oppressive Christian values, then everything would be better in the world. And so society takes one step away, and everything gets a little bit crazier, a little more chaotic. But, but instead of, of, of rethinking that, they simply double down. If we could just liberate ourselves from the oppressive Christian values, then everything would be better in the world. And so society takes another step away, and things continue to get crazier and more chaotic. But, but not to be deterred, that they insist if we could just liberate ourselves from the oppressive Christian values, then everything in the world would be better. And of course, at some point, you have to admit that this is not working the way that you said it would. And so this morning, I just want to invite you to consider the possibility that perhaps God may actually know better than us and, and as we take a fresh look at his design for marriage. Now, of course, in terms of background, we need to start with, with a, a brief review of creation, right? God creates Adam, a man, and, and gives him the job of cultivating the Garden of Eden. And then he creates Eve, a woman, who, who he gives to Adam as a helper or a partner for him. And so we have men and women very similar and yet also significantly different. Right? Men and women look different. They, they can do different things. And those differences are not simply a biological accident. Right? They, they actually point towards specific roles and responsibilities that God has designed for them. And so we want to be very clear. Men and women are both created in God's image. They both have equal amounts of value and dignity in that sense. Uh, that men are not more important than women or vice versa. Uh, so we can say that men and women are equal, but they are not equivalent. Right? Men and women are equal, but they are not equivalent. They are different. God has designed for a husband to bear the primary responsibility to ensure the physical and spiritual well-being of his family, and he has designed for a wife to support and assist him in that task. And, and as a pastor friend of mine has pointed out, if you want to be offended by that, you can either be offended that God decided for wives to be helpers, or you can be offended that God decided that husbands needed help. Right? It works uh, either way. But, but again, for the purposes of this sermon, we're simply going to assume that God knows what he's doing and that his design is good. You see, the real problem in marriage is what happens in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve rebel against the Lord in the Garden of Eden. And one of the consequences of sin that we see from that in Genesis 3.16 is relational conflict between husbands and wives, where there was formerly harmony, that there's now battles for power and control, and there is animosity and bitterness toward each other. And of course, human history has a long wake of evidence that testifies to the reality of this. Fortunately, Jesus comes, and Jesus dies on the cross so that we can be forgiven of our sin and so that we can be made new by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit through trusting in him and, and what he has done to save us. And from that point, 
we are able to begin living according to God's design again and, and experiencing life as it was intended to be. And so we're reminded of God's original design throughout the New Testament. If you remember from our series through Colossians uh, and Titus, we saw that God has designed marriage so that husbands bear primary responsibility for leading their families, and wives are called to affirm and support their leadership. And Paul makes that point even more strongly in chapter 5 of his letter to the Ephesians. So submission is the appropriate disposition of a wife to have toward her husband, following his leadership. But Peter gives an additional reason for this in the second half of verse 1. He says, So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Now, we've already seen twice in this letter that that Peter uses the phrase obedience to the word or to the truth to to refer to our, our proper response to the gospel of faith in Jesus. And so as he uses it here to those who do not obey it, he's referring to people who do not believe. So the idea is that a a wife has come to faith in Christ, but her husband has not. And Peter's point is that the way that this wife exercises submission can be used by God to draw the husband to Christ. It could be that as the husband experiences the blessing of his wife following God's design for marriage, it will lead him to the Lord as well. And now when Peter refers to this happening without a word, he doesn't mean to imply that, that wives should not try to share the gospel with their husbands. But he, he's been making a point throughout this whole section that, that seeing the effects of the gospel on our lives has a persuasive power of its own. Right? As, as a wife in the first century joined herself to a church that would certainly be on the fringes of society, as she refused to worship the idols that the rest of the family was worshiping, the husband would know very well what she believed. And so Peter's point is that the path of evangelism isn't limited to to constant nagging about what you need to do to get right with the Lord. Um, It's it's absolutely essential that that we articulate God's plan of salvation, Uh, But but there's also the aspect of of a clear explanation of the gospel that is then illustrated and demonstrated through a godly lifestyle. And so uh, certainly we need to articulate the gospel, but then there are also times to allow our life to do the talking. And that's what Peter is getting at here. So God's design is for wives to submit to their husbands. And as he takes responsibility to set the direction for the family, wives follow and support his lead. Now, that doesn't mean that wives can't express what they think about something or how they feel about something. As we'll see in a few moments, a husband would be wise to listen to that. But but when a choice has to be made, the husband has the responsibility of making the decision. And, And it honors God for the wife to support him in that. Now, as we have said for each of the last couple of weeks, submission to any human authority is never absolute. And our allegiance to the Lord is always our our highest loyalty. And so if a husband expects his wife to do something or not to do something that would require her to violate a clear commandment of God, then she would be right to refuse. We must always obey God rather than men. In this case, literally. So our submission to proper authority is an expression, ultimately, of our submission to the Lord. We do that because he calls us to. 
But if an authority is pushing us against God's will, as we find it in his word, then submission to God requires that we don't go there. And then even beyond that, I would want to be clear that if a wife finds herself in an abusive situation or or a situation where the husband is being unfaithful or, or negligent, what Peter is saying here should not be used to make her feel like she is trapped in a dangerous or a harmful position. And and I would want to encourage her uh, to get out and seek safety. Obviously, those kinds of of situations happen along a a spectrum, and there are any number of different variables that factor into what the proper response should be, which is another reason why it's helpful for us to have a church family who can help us think through those situations wisely. But assuming normal circumstances, which is what Peter is doing here, The default attitude of a wife should be to follow her husband's lead in submission. Peter's going to continue giving instructions as we pick up again, starting in verse 3. He writes, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So as we pick up again here in verse 3, Peter continues to instruct wives as he says, Do not let your adorning be external. Things like the, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. And so Peter here is making a distinction between outer and inner beauty, and he calls on wives to focus on the latter. Now, this is not to say that it is morally wrong to look nice or to put yourself together, but it is to say that our focus should be primarily on developing who we are rather than on how we look. And again, these two things are not necessarily mutually exclusive, but I think there's always a temptation to make sure that we look good, regardless of whether or not we are good. Some people wouldn't dare leave the house without looking a certain way, but they have no problem with people seeing them even if they're acting selfishly or impatiently or any number of other ways. And so for Peter... That's upside down, especially when it comes to marriage. Or you can think about it from this angle. Hollywood is full of people who who are physically ideal, and yet the, the adultery and divorce rate among celebrities is as bad or worse than it is for the general population. And I know that there are a variety of factors that probably play into that, but at least one of the inferences we can draw from that reality is that there has to be more than outward beauty to make a relationship work. Right? It's great to have a spouse that is attractive, but you still have to live with them. Right? And as you're navigating the ups and downs of real life and marriage, if you have a, a spouse who is beautiful on the outside but ugly on the inside, it's only a matter of time before the outward charm wears off, and now you're stuck with someone you really don't like. Right? And so, so, ladies, we love you. Peter isn't asking you to look intentionally frumpy. Just don't neglect to cultivate godliness on the inside, because that's what will ultimately make or break a marriage. 
Then in verse 5, Peter draws a comparison to the leading ladies of the Old Testament as he points out that that this teaching follows their example. In verse 6, he refers specifically to Sarah, Abraham's wife, uh, and the fact that she called him Lord. That's with a little L, not a big L. And so this is a reference to Genesis 18 where, where Sarah laughs at the announcement that she's going to have a baby. And she responds by saying that, that Abraham, her, her Lord, is too old for that. And Peter's point is simply that Sarah refers to Abraham respectfully there as a, a, an expression, a demonstration of her submission to him. And then in the second half of verse 6, Peter says, And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. And, and the, the imagery of being someone's children in the Bible refers to being like them or emulating them in some way. Right? In Galatians, we see that Christians are children of Abraham by faith in Jesus. And through submission to their husbands, women are daughters of Sarah. All right, now that last phrase there of not fearing anything that is frightening is a somewhat awkward expression. If you look at different translations, you'll see that they render it in different ways. But, but I think the essence of it really gets to the rub of where wives struggle with submission in that they feel a, a lack of control, right? If you are submitting to your husband, I imagine that can probably feel like you're riding on a motorcycle without holding on, right? I, I don't know where this is going. I can't do anything about it. And, and really, I would just like to get off, right? And I, I think that's, in some cases, probably a, a very realistic feeling, of sorts. And so uh, in, in verse 5, the, the, people, the, the reference to women who hoped in God, I would suggest, connects with the lack of fear here at the end of verse 6 to say uh, that submission is ultimately an expression of trust in God. Right? And, and this is his design, and I'm going to trust him to work it all out. And I think this is really important for us to note Right? We don't submit to the government, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, because the government is always right. We don't submit to our employers because they always do the right thing. Right? Children, even though Peter doesn't address this here, children don't submit to their parents because their parents are never wrong. Right? All human authority is fallible. All human authority is going to make mistakes. But that still doesn't change God's overall design. So ladies, I'm about to to talk to husbands and do the best that I can to set you up well, but I think Peter's point here is that submission is ultimately about trusting God even more than it is about trusting your husband. If if he tries to lead you into sin in some way, then you are right to refuse. But short of that, it honors God for you to follow his lead and trust God with the results. And so to summarize, wives are called to submit to their husbands and cultivate their inner character. Now Peter is going to move on and address husbands as we pick up again by reading in verse 7. Peter writes, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. And so as you pick up again with verse 7, Peter turns to address husbands. And he writes, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. And so husbands, listen to me very carefully. It is not a light thing 
for you to be the leader of your family. It is not a light thing for you to be the leader of your family. Biblically, leadership is never a position of privilege. It is a responsibility for the well-being of other people who you exercise leadership over. We're going to talk more about that uh, in just a moment, that responsibility comes with accountability. And when it comes to our leadership of our families, Peter tells husbands to live with their wives in an understanding way. And, and, And husbands, that phrase means that you should do what you do with her in mind. As you make decisions, you should know what she thinks. As you take actions, you should know how she feels about it. As as you exercise leadership in your home, you should do it in in such a way uh, that keeps her well-being at the forefront. And so, um, as you lead, you need to be conscious of how your leadership affects her, and her perspective should factor into your thought process. And in the middle of the verse, we see that, that husbands are to do this, showing honor to their wives as the weaker vessel. And that last phrase has been the cause of much debate over the centuries. What what does weaker vessel mean? Of course, as a general rule, wives are are normally weaker physically than their husbands are. And and that uh, gives husbands an advantage that that husbands could exploit in intimidating them. And and of course, socially speaking, in the ancient world, wives were were in an inferior position that would allow husbands to get away with treating them poorly if they chose to. And so uh, a man could easily take care of himself in the ancient world. A woman could not. And so in calling them to show honor uh, to the the wife as the weaker vessel, the, the weakness of women, particularly for Peter's original readers, spoke to their vulnerability. It's, it's the fact that their wives are vulnerable and dependent on them. And so in calling them to show honor, Peter is urging husbands not to use their position of authority for their own purposes, for their own advantage, not to abuse their power, but to take responsibility for the well-being of their wives. And so husbands, your leadership should be a, a source of blessing to your wife, not a source of stress and anxiety. In the second half of the verse, Peter gives a reason why husbands should honor their wives, and it's since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Of course, we've seen before that in the ancient world, even among Jews, women were often treated as inferior to men. But we saw in our our study through Luke that Jesus clearly affirmed the equal dignity and value of women. Jesus didn't die for husbands any more than he died for their wives. And at the cross, we stand in equal need of God's grace with an equal measure of provision made for us. Wives are called to a life of discipleship in the exact same way that husbands are. And so as co-heirs of salvation, husbands should honor their wives even as they're called to lead them. And at the end of the verse, Peter gives a second reason and an implicit warning when he adds that husbands need to honor their wives so that your prayers may not be hindered. That sounds kind of serious. Husbands, you need to understand that the way you relate to your wife impacts the way that the Lord relates to you. That the way that you relate to your wife impacts the way that the Lord relates to you. 
And so if, if she wants to do this, but you decide to do that, that's, that's fair enough. But you better make sure that you make that decision because you really believe that's what's best and not simply because that's what you want to do. Right? Again, biblically, leadership is a responsibility, not a privilege. And our calling to lead our families comes with accountability for how we do it, not just in eternity, but as Peter says, right here, right now. And so in other words, if you want God to take care of you, husband, then you need to make sure you're taking care of the lady sitting next to you. Husbands, we need to live with our wives in an understanding way, honoring them as we lead our families. And so in our passage this morning, Peter gives instructions for how Christians should conduct themselves within marriage. Wives should submit to their husbands and cultivate their inner character. And husbands should honor their wives as they exercise leadership in the family. And church, when you have a wife that confidently submits to her husband, and a husband who intentionally honors his wife as he leads his family, you have the ingredients for for a beautiful marriage and a a healthy family. And, And we have to recognize that more than ever before, the world needs to see healthy Christian families as an alternative to the chaos and destruction that is happening all around us. Right? Whatever they think about the Bible, people should have to reckon with the fact that Christians experience the best in life. Right? We, we should force them to admit, I hate the idea of biblical values and, and biblical morality. But man, I really wish that my family was like that. We, we should force that dilemma of course, often this topic raises the, the issues of specifics. What does this look like in terms of traditional gender roles? What should the husband do? What should the wife do? And, and interestingly, the Bible doesn't give us a bullet point list. Right? It's, it's silent about that. And I think that's because every relationship is different. No two husbands and, and wives are exactly the same. Right? Everyone has their own unique strengths and weaknesses. Everyone has their own unique needs. Different seasons of life provide unique opportunities and, uh, and challenges. And so the relational dynamic of, of leadership and submission is, is more of a zoomed out, big picture principle that orients us to how God expects his people to operate in marriage. But, but specifics may look a, a little bit different from one marriage to the next. Each couple has to work that out between them. I also realize that with a topic like this, there are a million and one whatabouts and what ifs, and there's no way for us to be able to address all of them individually right here. And so as as always, I want to throw out that if you ever have a question, or if you're ever struggling to figure out what it looks like, uh, husband, for you to to honor your wife or wife to submit to your husband, even if it's not not for you, if it's for a friend that you know, please uh, talk to me. I certainly don't have all of the answers, uh, would readily admit that, but I can at least function as a sounding board and try to point you in the right direction. Uh, Friends, making marriage work uh, is challenging, but it is worth the effort. And so this morning, may the Lord enable us to pursue marriage according to his design. Let's pray together.